How's it going, everyone? It is once again me, Chewie, and I am the host of this podcast titled Exploring the Myths Behind the Legends, where we discuss various horror-based topics. And before we get started and bring in our distinguished guest for the evening, I'd like to remind the listeners to check out our social media accounts. We have a Linktree page in which you can reach out to us through Instagram, Facebook, etc. That is under linktree.com slash myths behind lgds and i believe you can also access our online store there so if you want to score some sweet embl swag by all means go ahead and do it so i am very happy to have two very very cool ladies as guests for a podcast i am a fan of your show by the way so <laughs> i'm glad to have you over and we have lexi and Kayla. So let's go ahead and get started with Lexi. How are you doing, Lexi? Hello, I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Like I was mentioning earlier behind the scenes, it is summer part two for us. So it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's always a really weird Halloween when you have to walk around in shorts, but I mean, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, you know, I feel like that makes the slutty Halloween costumes so much easier than when it's like 50 degrees out. You know what? I'm not going to complain because yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, you'll see a lot of ladies walking around. Uh, but anyways, uh, <laughs> so Kayla, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. Awesome. So in a couple of sentences here, describe for us what is your podcast about? What is your podcast called, by the way? So what do you talk about in there? Um, so we are a little wicked and we talk about um, like unsolved crimes, true crime cases, serial killers. Um, Lexi discusses more of the... Uh, <laughs> Um, the cryptids and the lore, and do you want to tell them about all the stuff you talk about? Oh, sure. Um, so I, I tend to focus more on, um, like urban legends, uh, hauntings, weird internet rabbit holes, for lack of a better way to <laughs> describe that. <laughs> um, and I feel like Kayla is really good at finding like unsolved, both unsolved and solved crime cases that like truly I have never heard of. And like, I'm, I'm a pretty big true crime fan. So you get a mix of everything with us. Um, you know, we've covered cults recently. We did an entire episode on toilet demons, which was a lot of fun. Um, Kayla did one on Australian cryptids. So like really every time you tune in, it's anybody's guess what you're going to get. <laughs> I am thoroughly intrigued by the toilet demons episode and I shall <laughs> <laughs> listen to that as soon as we're done recording here. That sounds really interesting. Uh, <laughs> um, so that's pretty cool. I mean, I had Kayla a while back as uh, a guest and she and I had a conversation about random topics, uh, just scary stuff and... Uh, it was a pretty fun discussion, so I'm hoping we have a good time again here tonight. And, by the way, we are doing kind of a, like, what you said, a, a mixed bag of, of topics, aren't we? So each of us is going to have to share something that we dug up or research on. So I will allow you to start off, either Lexi or Kayla, whoever wants to start first, and I shall share my story at the very end. So I will play the gracious host for the evening. Uh, Lexi, do you want to go first? Sure, I will go ahead and do mine first. Uh, my little mini episode today is, it's, it's going to be about an urban legend that I really hope will be new to both of you. Um, it's it's kind of niche, in, in my opinion. Um, and it's reportedly shared by truckers across the United States and possibly other regions, but the only sightings that I'm aware of involve the U.S. And this is a ghostly sighting known only as the Black Dog. 
So myths of black dogs, werewolves, grims, etc., you know, abound in various parts of the world and generally are not good omens. And such is the case with this black dog seen by truckers as well. Uh, though many interpret this phantom to be a protective entity, warning truckers to be careful on their routes and to remember to rest. So did I hit a winner? Have either of you guys heard of the black dog seen by truckers? I have not. I think... If I'm not mistaken, I saw a movie about this, but I'm not sure if it's the same idea. It is, it is. And I actually did not know about the movie somehow. Um, but my my husband did. He was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to write about the Black Dog Truckers. He's like, oh, like the Patrick Sweezy movie. And I was like, the what? <laughs> but yes, yes, there is a movie that I guess is more of like a thriller drama that is just called Black Dog. I haven't seen it. I should watch it now after doing this episode. But as far as what it is, um, it's it's not really too complicated. It's a black dog that's sometimes described as shadowy or phantom-like or that's just otherwise appearing supernatural. And sometimes like a normal, albeit alarmingly creepy, all black dog. The dog is said to appear to truck drivers before a serious or fatal crash. Sometimes the dog is said to have glowing red eyes. Some versions of this legend state that the first sighting of the black dog is a sign to get off the road ASAP and rest before something bad happens. If you ignore that first sighting, the second, or in some cases third, sighting is either right before the accident or it actually causes the accident. Other versions of the legend state that seeing the dog just one time is an omen that a fatal crash is imminent and unavoidable regardless of the actions of the trucker that spotted the dog. And other versions state that the first sighting of the dog actually causes the accident by running in front of the truck or head on towards it. So this version of the legend is particularly popular for veteran truckers and CDL drivers to scare newbies with. It's just a great way, you know, oh, you have your CDL license. Let me tell you about this terrifying thing that's going to try and kill you. <laughs> They're just hazing people with it. <laughs> So it's possible that this urban legend serves as double duty as a way to kind of scare new truckers, but also as a way to teach people about the dangers of pushing too hard on the road and how important it is to rest and not drive when tired. The road is a really dangerous place and even more so if the person behind a multi-ton piece of equipment falls asleep behind the wheel. So the origins of this legend likely evolved from other similar black dog legends. There are plenty of different specifics to the other black dog legends. In general, a sighting of a black dog, where one's not expecting to see one. I mean, if you're at an animal shelter and you see a black dog, like that's that's fine. <laughs> you know, you should actually. Fun fact about that: um, it's it's harder for black dogs and cats to get adopted than dogs and cats of other colors due to these omens and myths surrounding black cats and black dogs. So. You know, next time you're you're open to adopting the animal, so look specifically for a black dog or a black cat because they're more likely to be passed over. And personally, I think black cats have the best personality. So generally, it's considered to be a bad omen when you're not expecting to see one. Uh, where some iterations of the legend state that the dog itself is malevolent and causes harm, like in the case of the black shuck legend of the United Kingdom. But I'm not going to get into the other black dog legends, uh, though I probably will in a future episode. And like many urban legends, there's just, there's not a clear origin. Nobody really knows where this came from. And this is what we mentioned before, a movie featuring Patrick Swayze called Black Dog in 1998 about a trucker trying to keep his family safe after accepting a sketchy delivery job also helped popularize the urban legend. I did find a Reddit testimony. Well, okay, it wasn't a Reddit testimony. It was on a trucker forum, but 
you know, trucker Reddit. So this was posted on gonzotrucker.com in 2011, which is a testimony of the original poster's own sighting in the 90s. And this is the transcript of what he said. Most of us truck drivers have seen the black dog at one time or another. Now it's getting harder to run like that anymore. Back in the late 90s, I was working for a company who did not care what I put in my logbook. We truck drivers were allowed to drive 10 hours with eight off. But I, like most other truck drivers, ran as hard as we could, sometimes driving 20 hours straight. One time I drove 5,000 miles in one week. It was not unusual to see a truck driver doing a whole month logbook at the truck stop. After we all get paid by the number of miles we drive, so truck drivers want all they can get. I would sometimes use three fake logbooks and drive until I could not even see. So the question is, does the black dog exist? Well, for me, it did one night in 1998. It was a Thursday, and I remember it clearly, around 8 p.m. on I-80 in Nebraska. I just drove from Angola, Indiana, all the way to Kearney, Nebraska, 800 miles and 15 hours driving. I wanted to get a few more miles before pulling over. My body and mind was already fatigued from running hard like this all week. I fell asleep at the wheel. When I woke up, it was because I hit the rumble strips on an exit ramp at 75 miles per hour. That's when I saw the black dog running towards me. There was nothing I could do but keep the wheel straight and cross over back onto the interstate. After that, I was so scared, I vowed to never run that hard again. I've never seen the black dog again, maybe because I ran him over on that ramp, or maybe because you don't get a second chance to see him. Whatever it was, I hope to never be in that situation again as long as I live. Have you seen the black dog? If so, share your story on here on Gonzo Trucker. We would all like to hear it. Be safe out there and get plenty of sleep. And the comment section was truly full of other drivers and truckers recalling their own black dog sightings and stories. So no matter what you drive, Please remember to rest often and take it easy. Even pull over on the side of the road or in a parking lot to take a nap if you have to. It's much safer than falling asleep on the road. I've done this on road trips before where you find a parking lot, you take a power nap for four hours before you get on. Much, much safer than falling asleep behind the wheel. So stay safe, don't die, and don't kill anybody else, and don't see the black dog. It's great advice, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Solid advice, too. <laughs> Don't die is usually good advice. <laughs> That's actually a very interesting legend. I had, like you said, or like I said earlier, excuse me, seen the movie, but I don't think the main topic of the movie is the dog itself. It's got more to do with, um, like, action stuff. And, I mean, it is part of the story, but it's not the main focus of, of the story. That's my understanding. I haven't seen it, but I read the IMDb synopsis and it seems like the main plot point is like this trucker takes like a, a weapon smuggling job mm -hmm. and yeah. there's just like an anecdote or two in the movie about like, oh, one time I saw the black dog and here's what happened. And then they just be after it. Yeah, I think the way it starts is the guy, Patrick Swayze plays, sees a black dog and he has an accident, so he loses his license or something like that. I think so, and that's that's why he takes the sketchy license, the the weapon smuggling mm -hmm. job, because they're the only people that would hire him with like a suspended license. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. So I have a couple of questions for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Is it ever specified what kind of dog it has to be, as far as maybe like a Doberman or a Rottweiler, or? It's never really specified. You know, some some depictions describe it as more shepherd-like where it's kind of big and, and fluffy and others will say it's got shorter hair it's a little stockier like a rottweiler or like a doberman if it was all black but each person's experience with the black dog is they're consistent in the sense that they all describe 
a black dog that's kind of shadowy. They're not sure if it's real, but as far as the type of dog they see, that can differ from sighting to sighting. And like you said, it's not limited to any specific region, right? Anyone can see it anywhere. Yeah, that's my understanding. The only sightings I'm familiar with are in the U.S., but there's anywhere that there's truckers, there's probably a very similar type of legend. And can anyone see it or do you have to be a truck driver? I mean, can I see it if I'm driving in my car at night? That's a really good question. So I don't remember seeing I don't remember seeing or hearing any stories particularly of people who were not driving trucks, but still saw. Actually, I think there might have been one. I think there might have been one story of somebody who was just leisure driving, like they were not driving um, a CDL or anything like that. And they did see the black dog. I think I saw one or two. But I think it's just most common with truckers because they spend so many hours on the road. But I think it's probably possible for other drivers to see it. Have either of you ever seen anything on the road like this? I saw a weird chihuahua at a gas station, but like, I don't think that counts. <laughs> I thought it was a chupacabra because like, it wasn't on a leash. It just like came out of nowhere. It was like, three, I'm at a gas station. Our GPS glitched and just said like route 666, which I don't think exists. And then I just saw this like weird little chihuahua, like skitter out of nowhere. And I was like, oh my God, it's a chupacabra. It's coming to eat me. But like, no, not the black dog, just a weird chihuahua. Oh, that is, <laughs> that is hilarious. I mean, I can just picture myself driving at night and seeing a black chihuahua stepping into the road. I mean, I would try my best to avoid hitting it, of course, but I I don't think I'd be scared of it necessarily. (laughs) No, you know, I feel like if I was driving and a chihuahua showed up, it probably would would not be the the scariest thing in the world. Like the scariest thing in the world would be not try, you know, not trying to hit the the Uh chihuahua. Yeah, yeah. It would be attempting to avoid the chihuahua, but you know, it's not like I see a chihuahua and immediately my heart sinks. I'm like, it's a it's a bad omen. It's a bad omen if you have to trim its nails. <laughs> and that's kind of yeah. why I asked what kind of dog it was, because it, it, that would make a difference. I mean, a bigger dog would be scarier, I think, to most people. I think it would be so much scarier to come across like an all-black shepherd or like a Doberman than, you know, like maybe a black Shih Tzu or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's usually an intimidating type of, of dog. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a pug wouldn't really make a difference. Uh... I would stop my car and and chase that pug down and and put it in my car. Free pug. Uh, How about you, Kayla? Any insights on her story? Uh, No, I just thought it was like really interesting because I've never heard of that. Um, Never heard of the movie either, but I'm not much of a movie buff like Lexi is. So I was a little surprised you said you hadn't heard of that movie. (laughs) Because I feel like you know every movie. It's an older movie. I think it's from like the late 90s maybe. It is. I want to say it came out in 1998. Oh, yeah. Because when I saw it, I think I was in high school. It must have been like 99 or 2000 when I saw this movie. So it, it, it's been a while. I, I've actually only seen one Patrick Swayze movie, and it's it's the one where he's a drag queen, and they get like stuck in that little town on their way to a drag competition. That's the only, that's the only <laughs> one I've seen. Like I haven't seen Ghost or like any of the classics. Like I've only seen that one where he's a drag queen the whole movie. It's a fabulous movie, by wow. the way. Oddly enough, I don't think I've ever heard of that. <laughs> I haven't either. So um, I think it's called Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything. Huh. That's it's great. <laughs> Wesley Snipes is also in it, and he is also a drag queen. Oh, I gotta see this now. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm more familiar with, of course, Ghost, but also the classic Roadhouse. That's my one of my favorite movies. <laughs> 
Uh, I haven't seen that one either. I'm going to have to watch all these Patrick Swayze movies now. Yeah, because Roadhouse is about, he becomes a bouncer in a bar and there's this band playing and they all, they throw bottles at the band. They're in a cage, mind you. And the, the guests are so rowdy that they, they basically tear down the bar every time there's, there's a band. So yeah, it, it's, it's a, <laughs> it's just a, your average punk show. Yeah. You know, just, just a typical <laughs> metal show. <laughs> so how about you, Kayla? What have you got for us tonight? So I, I know I told you something originally different. I told you haunted ships, but I kind of Ooh. switched it up a little bit. Cool. Alrighty, so what I have for you guys tonight is an unsolved mystery called the Is Doll Woman. Um, you guys might have heard of this one. It's kind of common, uh, but it's still an interesting case to me. Um, on November 29th, 1970, a man and his two young daughters were walking, were taking a walk in an area known as Isdalen in Bergen, Norway, when they came upon a grisly scene, a charred dead woman. The family went back into town to get police, and upon investigation, she was found nearly unrecognizable. She was face up, hands and arms clenched by her torso, and there was no campfire near her to explain an accidental burning. Also found near her was an empty bottle of St. Halvard liquor, two plastic water bottles, plastic passport container, rubber boots, woolen scarf, I'm sorry, woolen jumper, a scarf, nylon stockings, an umbrella, a purse, matchbox, two earrings, and a ring. There was also a fur hat that had traces of gas on it. And the weird thing about all this is that any labels were marked off the clothing and objects so nobody would know where they were from. Two days later, two suitcases were found at Bergen Railway Station that they found out belonged to her. In the lining of one, hidden up in the um, top of the suitcase, were five 100 Deutsch mark notes were found along with clothing, shoes, wigs, makeup, eczema cream, 135 Norwegian kroner, Belgian, British, and Swiss coins, maps, timetables, glasses, and sunglasses. And on the sunglasses, they had a partial fingerprint on them that matched the body, which is how they matched these cases to her, cosmetics, and a notepad. Again, anything identifiable was removed from the clothes. On her autopsy, she was found to be incapacitated by phenobarbital and carbon monoxide poisoning and was found to have soot in her lungs, meaning that she was unfortunately alive when burned and her neck was bruised. She had 50 to 70 sleeping pills in her stomach and 12 more found near her body. And she was found to have unique fillings in her teeth that were well, that were not commonly found done in that area. I think she had like 14 gold teeth um, that was not commonly done in um, that Belgian area. Um, she was last seen alive on November 23rd at the checkout of the Hotel Horde Hyman, where staff had mentioned that she was roughly five foot four, had dark brown hair and brown eyes, and seemed to be on guard while at the hotel and kept to her room. She paid in cash and requested a taxi. The police had decoded her notepad and timetables to be places she had visited and when she visited them. So her notepad was full of like all these numbers and letters put into rows and they couldn't figure out what it was meant to be at first, uh, but it turns out to be some kind of weird code that she had made up. It was determined that she had traveled to Norway and Europe with at least eight fake passports and aliases that all had different birthdays and occupations. But the consistency between these was the nationality being Belgian. And any forms that she had on her were either written in French or German. 
She was noted to have stayed in several hotels in Bergen and changed rooms after checking in. Um, such as like she would check in, they'd give her a room and she'd be like, no, 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 I need something different. She was kind of known to be like that client at least. Um, and she had also told staff that she was a traveling saleswoman. Uh, people who had met her said that she spoke Finnish, broken English and had a strong smell of onions. I'm sorry, of garlic about her and she wore wigs. Um, knowing all of this about her, a few theories have come out as to who she was and why she may have been killed. So the most famous theory about the Israel woman is that she was a spy. So this time, this time frame was during the Cold War and there was a missile testing site nearby Bergen. She could have been a spy of like a smaller country, nothing large like the KGB, as she did not fit the criteria for that type of spy. So in one of the articles I read, the KGB, they normally, um, like one of the researchers said, like Beta would normally wear like Chanel number no. five and be like very... <laughs> like they wouldn't smell like garlic they would be very kept to themselves okay. um was why this is a con because she made herself a very noticeable for a spy like she stood out at the hotels like like i said being one of those clients who would change her room and while in the room she would remove furniture and put it like out in the hallway oh, for wow. some reason <laughs> and moved it around the room um, but one of the pros is, is that she was caught talking to like one of the naval officers uh, that was near the, um, the, the missile testing site. Another theory is that some people believe that these are like multiple women who are being identified instead of this being the same woman. So the five foot four brown hair, brown eyes and the garlic and the wigs. Some people think that it was not the same woman that they had discovered. And last but at least some people think that she was just the victim of a serial killer who may have just been a strange woman who had all these weird um, things about her that just happened to be a victim of a serial killer because a year later they found a woman who was similar to her also found deceased. And that's what I have on the Isdal woman. It's short, but I feel like it's, I don't know, it's a very interesting case to me. So what do you guys think? I feel like I vaguely remember hearing about this case and being equally as baffled the first time I heard it. I never heard of it, I don't think. Uh, but it sounds really interesting. There's a whole bunch of things there that make the mind wonder. For example, you said they found her near a, a lake, is that correct? No, she was like in like a little like wooded area. Oh, okay. Um, from what I understand, yeah. Okay. And there was nothing like a bonfire or anything near her. So it didn't look like she was camping, right? It was just like she was just walking around, kind of? Nope, just looked like she was there, yeah. Hmm. And so she was burned. See, like, when I first heard of that, I immediately jumped to vampire <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> but then the smell of garlic contradicts that because they hate garlic, don't they? They do, they do. Yeah, because I, unless, unless, because most cases of, of, you know, vampirism were other people freaking out over recently deceased bodies, or I don't know if anybody was ever killed for being a vampire, or it's just something where they were, they were attempting to keep them dead, because I'm wondering if maybe... If, the, if somebody thought this woman was a vampire for some bizarre reason, and then they killed her, and then they used garlic but my understanding is that she smelled of garlic while she was alive like while she was in the hotel right yeah um the articles okay. i read said she was 
very potent. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's what I meant too. By the way, I meant that maybe somebody mistake mistook or thought this mistakenly that this woman might have been a vampire for some reason. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. So, and then you have, of course, all the different currency and all the passports. And the second possibility I thought was spy, but then you said that that was debunked thoroughly. Yeah, yeah. Like for something as like um, sophisticated as the KGB, I feel as though like they would have more like behaving a certain way, acting a certain way, looking a certain way as to not as to be inconspicuous. But this woman kind of talked to everybody, had all these different costumes out in the open, smelled like garlic. Um, so they think that maybe if she was a spy, it was for like a smaller country or a smaller organization. Yeah, because my understanding is that when you're a spy, you want to fly under the radar and, you know, blend in in plain sight as much as possible. Yeah. I wonder why she changed rooms. I mean, of course, she could just be one of those Karens. <laughs> but um, I wonder if that, I mean, if that, I'm going I'm to go with the theory that she's actually a spy for some sort of small organization. Why would that benefit her? Like, how would that help her? In, I mean, unless she, she wants to get a, a better view of, of the street or something. But other than that, I can't think of anything. Maybe to throw off somebody who was... If some, she thought somebody was following her? I, I have no idea. See, that too, because the way she died is pretty mysterious. And, and it sounds kind of vicious, really. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Is it's a very, It was a very violent death, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. So maybe she did know somebody was after her or stalking her and she was trying to avoid being caught so i don't know it's it's a very interesting mystery um i had never heard of it so thank you for sharing that kayla yeah and i guess it's time for me to share my story uh so it's not really a story it's just a uh, information <laughs> so have either of you ever heard of the the mummies in mexico no. I don't think I have. Mexico has a place, there's a city called Guanajuato in central Mexico, in which there are roughly around 100 mummified bodies in display for people to watch and see. So they actually have a museum. Would either of you ever want to visit a place like that, by the way? I probably would. I mean, I, I yeah. saw Body Worlds when it was out, you know, both the when, when it originally came out and then I saw the Body Worlds animals. So I think it would be really neat to see to see mummies, especially because um, my hometown has a mummy in their museum. So I've only seen like an Egyptian style mummy. I think it would be so fascinating to see a, a Mexican mummy. Mm -hmm. How are you, Kayla? You visit this place? Yeah, I think I would. That sounds like Lexi said, pretty interesting to go see. These mummies are different because they were formed through natural processes. They weren't embalmed. They weren't um, subject to any kind of process to keep them mummified. And before I go into that, though, I want to share some history of this place. So this happened or this started rather in the 1850s in Mexico. There was a need for a new graveyard because people were, of course, in those times, dying a lot faster than they do now. 
So basically their, their graveyard filled up and they were, well, we need to build another one. So there was actually a legal battle between the church and the government because, or rather the, the city, because the church wanted to be paid for the, for keeping the bodies in their land. And actually, in, let me see, in, in the 1850s, 1859, I believe, the Mexican president had to intervene and, and sign a, a law that, okay, the, the church cannot be involved in these matters anymore. So basically, keeping the church separate from handling graveyards and stuff like that. And going back to the city in Guanajuato, what they had to do is they had to start taking the bodies out because they had no more space. And when they found the first body, they found that it was very nicely preserved. I mean, to put it in, <laughs> in a weird way, I guess. But, um, so the body was pretty well preserved. It didn't look decomposed. It looked very... Uh, I mean, the features aren't there anymore. But you can see that where the face would be and you can see where the eyes would be. Stuff like that. And it actually belongs to a doctor. He was a French doctor by the name of, I hope I say this correctly, uh, Archimedes Leroy, I think. <laughs> so basically, in this time, in the 1850s, 1860s, Mexico was occupied by France. So this doctor came from France to visit Mexico and he ended up dying there. And there was a, like I said, they, they dug up his body and they found him. So as they were doing this, they had to dig up more bodies from the graveyard. And basically they were asking people to come and claim their families, their, their, their family members. So maybe somebody's grandma or grandpa was buried there and they would call them to come pick up the remains. And not very many people wanted to do that anymore. Because by that point, they would have had to be responsible to bury their bodies, right? So they were like, mm, no, no, I don't want the remains. So what the city ended up doing is they had to put him in the catacombs of the cemetery. Because nobody wanted them. So eventually the word spread that the city had a sort of a mausoleum kind of place where you could go visit dead bodies and see them preserved. And so eventually it got so big, the... the that the city had to decide, well, we need to make this, um, I guess, better. Because what you would have to do in, in those days, where you would have to go ask the gravekeeper to take you in. And you would have to climb down one of those spiral staircases into the catacombs where it's dark and you have to be with a torch and everything. So you could actually touch the bodies if you wanted to because they were just put in places in the wall. So, I mean, I don't know if I would want to touch a mummy myself, really. <laughs> I feel like you probably shouldn't touch the mummies. <laughs> it's probably in your best interest to not touch the mummies. You know, just like a general <laughs> rule of thumb. I feel like that's how you get cursed. <laughs> COVID-20. <laughs> I mean, yeah, one, one is it's a matter of respect, of course, for the dead. From, I mean, at least my, my point of view. But also, yeah, I don't. I don't know if, if there's been an Asian curse placed on these remains or what kind of microbes might be hanging out in that <laughs> mummy yeah. and I can come back home. And Anyways, there are over 100 mummies, like I mentioned, and some of the more popular uh, chambers, I guess you might want to call them, are as follows. So they have one called La Voz de los Muertos, which is the voice of the dead, in which they have 
some of the more famous mummies that, or I guess the, the ones that are preserved better. And they actually have their names. They have, like I mentioned, that French doctor. And they have another one from a lady called Ignacia Aguilar. Another one called Tranquilina Ramirez. Third one called Andrea Campos Galvan. There's one called The Witch. <laughs> La Bruja. So I wonder what she did in her life. And um, the last one that they have there is one called Daniel El Travieso, which is, oddly enough, the Spanish translation of Dennis the Menace. So What? <laughs> I, I was not expecting that last one. <laughs> no, I, I just mentioned that. I mean, they, they don't connect that. But, but uh, it's because Daniel El Travieso is the name of that mummy. Mm -hmm. But when they translated Dennis the Menace to Spanish, they gave him the name Daniel for some reason. Daniel. Um, huh. So Yeah, so <laughs> I don't think it's got anything to do with the mummy, but... Yeah, <laughs> so that's that's really, really, that's really interesting. So it's almost like catacombs, but you know where the catacombs in France are bones. These are semi-preserved remains due to, I guess, the nature of, of of burial. That's really fascinating. Allegedly, what happened is uh, the the bodies became preserved because of how dry the land is in that part of the country, and because it's very rich in salty minerals that preserve the the bodies better so um i actually visited this place when i was a kid i vaguely remember but i was looking at pictures of this place and it looks it looks really different but um let me go back to the the chambers where uh, i mentioned the voice of the dead they have one called angelitos which is the one for the mummies of infants they have a chamber called i hope i said this correctly Imagenología, which is basically where they have scientific data for the studies they've performed on these bodies. They have a chamber called the Muertes Tragicas, which is the tragic deaths of people who were allegedly involved in tragic deaths, of course. They have another one called Vestidos Típicos, which is mummies, or bodies rather, that became mummified while wearing traditional garb from that part of the country which is still kind of preserved and, and it looks pretty neat and the they have another one where it's called madre e hijo which is uh, a chamber where they keep the bot the mummy of a mother and her unborn child wow that's i mean i don't know if i would be able to see you know every chamber without getting exceptionally emotional at at some of them but just the fact that they have just a level of organization that they've even used some of them for scientific advancement is it's just really it's very interesting to me so as far as the museum goes it's gone through developments over the years when i went when i was a kid i must have been like six or seven years old so this is over 30 years ago the mummies were still inside a cave type of place you have to go underground and you could actually see them uh, at that point i think they were already enclosed in like glass caskets they weren't in the open anymore but i think we took some pictures and i couldn't find them nowadays though they have them inside glass cases but they're they're standing up now they're not laying down anymore so they have them along the walls of this place and allegedly there are reports <laughs> this is a little bit um, because, you know, what honors the memory of the death other than profiting off of them? 
because <laughs> what they want to do nowadays is they want to build this mini mall basically around this area and they want to build a parking lot they want to build a two-story museum with 54 storefronts eight chambers uh, uh, a food court and a souvenir area so what do you think about that they want to build all of that around hundreds of bodies um Aren't there like a lot of horror movies about why that's a terrible idea? You know, and I feel like you don't even need fictional horror movies. Like, I can't imagine. So here's what I'm thinking. Imagine if um, they took like a, a cemetery. I can't think of the name is escaping me. The cemetery in um, Virginia or D.C. that that has the, the many veterans and, and victims of war. Imagine if they're like, let's put them all on top of that. Like, I feel like people would be like, wow, that's terrible. And and that's kind of how I would feel is to just erect a mall around what is effectively catacombs or a mausoleum. It just feels like, I don't know, a proverbial punch to the gut for the memories of, of the people resting there. Yeah, like, it, it's kind of like, to me, I think disrespectful. Like, I can understand the museum part, like just the museum, but I can't get behind like the stores and the mall and everything else like that. Yeah, that seems a bit much. I can't imagine seeing a mummy and then be like, let's go to Claire's. People aren't happy, by the way, with this. So they, they share our sentiments. They're not happy that the government is trying to make this into a tourist. I mean, it already is a tourist attraction, but to the extent of building stores around it and food courts and just making a spectacle out of it, I think it's it's a little bit too much. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's definitely there's I feel like there's definitely a respectful way to go about that and a disrespectful way to go about that. And I feel like a mall with a food court is probably the disrespectful way to go about that. Whereas the museum, the protected museum is probably the more respectful way to go about it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I have a couple of other things to share about this because this one of these things is new to me, by the way. The first of which is that uh, in the 1960s, in Mexico, there was a show about the mummies of Guanajuato. Oh. <laughs> and it wasn't a documentary, mind you. It wasn't an informational show. It was a... They're calling it a novela, which, I mean, but it doesn't sound like a novela. A novela is a soap opera. But what it says here in the description is that it was transmit or broadcast, rather, once a week. And it was 30-minute episodes. And it dealt with drama dramatizations, excuse me, of the lives of the more famous mummies. So, is there anything like that in, in, in the in American culture like that? Where they made a show about death like that? <laughs> no, nothing I can think of a show. Something that I, I do think is a little interesting that the Motor Museum does up here um, in Philadelphia at the... Um, the College of Physicians is you have, there's a program where you can adopt one of their skulls. So you can sort of pay to sponsor one of their skulls. And what it does is it helps with, you know, research um, and funding for the museum and the College of Physicians, but it also kind of helps to keep the, the memories alive of um, the mul multiple skulls that they have on display uh, for the ones whom they're able to 
determine the identities. But to my knowledge, there's not been like a, a show or anything about that. That's just like the closest equivalent that I can think of. Hmm, I don't think I've ever heard of that. That sounds interesting. Very interesting museum. If you're ever up in Philadelphia, I highly recommend it. It is a museum documenting medical oddities throughout history. Hmm. Yeah, because I mean, according to basically what I'm thinking from or gathering from this is that they basically made their lives like a lifetime movie kind of thing or something like that. If I don't know, if that makes sense. It does make sense. It does make sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So like a retelling of their lives and. In the end, invariably, they all become mummies. So. I think it would be an interesting concept if done well, like if you did it documentary style. But I think if it was like a slightly fictionalized dramatization, I'm not so sure about that one. Yeah, yeah, because it, it appears to be not a documentary style show. And I have another one here. This movie, I, I saw it when I was a kid. And back then, I thought it was cool because I was a little kid. I was like seven. <laughs> but in the 1970s, I don't know if you're aware, Kayla and Lexi, that in Mexico, wrestling wrestling culture is really big. We have the masked luchadores and everything. That's they're like our superheroes, quote unquote. Okay, yeah, I'm 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 familiar. I don't think I can quite comprehend how big it is, but I'm fairly familiar with like bits and pieces of luchador culture. They actually made a movie, a horror movie, mind you, where Mexican luchadores fought against the mummies of Guanajuato. That came to life and tried to eat people. Oh. That sounds like a really good movie, though. Like, I would probably enjoy watching that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, because, uh, like I said, I saw it when I was, like, six or seven. And, and if I were to see it now, I think it probably would not hold <laughs> very well. But it featured uh, the three of the most popular ever wrestlers in Mexico, which are El Santo, uh, Blue Demon, or Blue Demon. And Mil Mascaras. Mil Mascaras was infamous for copying the masks of his opponents. So you wouldn't know who was who, basically. That's a power move. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if his opponent had a red mask with like gold trimmings, he would wear a mask with a red mask with gold trimmings or you know, something like that. Kind of a that was his name, like a thousand masks. That was like his, his gimmick. And basically the story about this movie is that there was a wrestler from the early 1900s, whose name was Satan, or Satan, of course. And he ended up becoming a mummy in Guanajuato, and for some reason he comes back to life, and these people, these wrestlers, are the only ones that can stop them. And they actually wrestled with mummies. They they, they don't fight them like the movies that we see now, for example. Um, like the Transporter, it's not a fist fight, but it's more of like a, a wrestling match. <laughs> that you watch with the mummies, so yeah, it, it's, it's very... This is painting an incredible word picture. Like, <laughs> I really want to see this movie where luchador wrestlers fight zombies or mummies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're like Batman because in, in the movies, they are in character at all times. They never take off their masks. They never do anything without their, their getup. And they drive all these fancy cars and they're really rich and they have all these hu huge houses. So it, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> our answer to Batman, if, if you want to think about it that way. <laughs> so, that's hilarious. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's going to be it for me. I don't know if you guys have any more thoughts on, on that story or you want to share anything about the ones you shared about. 
I think I'm good. Yeah, I think I'm good too. I think everything kind of got covered and I liked hearing you guys' stories. I thought that was really interesting. It's always cool to find out interesting stuff about stuff that I'm not familiar with. And especially with great companies such as yourselves. Thanks. I had a good time. Yeah, this was a really, really fun to be on the podcast. And I got really excited and I started listening when um, Gail was like, oh, we're doing something with Myth Behind Legends. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a podcast I would love because I love folklore. So <laughs> I got to discover yet another podcast to listen to out of it, which is, I mean, part of the purpose of this, but which is great for me. Mm hmm. I haven't listened in a while, to be honest, but I, I have okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been following it for a while. And as far as the, this podcast goes, I mean, we've gone over so many changes in co-hosts and formats. Our current episodes are nothing like what we what we excuse, uh, our current episodes, excuse me, are nothing like what we would do in the past. But hopefully they're just as enjoyable. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's always great having guests such as yourself. I mean, I hope that we are able to bring you back in at some point in the future, if you would be okay with that. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And before we leave, though, is there anything else you might want to share with our audience as far as where can they find you on social media? Oh, yeah. Um, so we are on Twitter at a little wicked pod. We are on Instagram, Little Wicked Podcast. We're on Facebook, A Little Wicked Podcast, where we have a Facebook group where you guys can like discuss um, episodes and memes, mainly a lot of memes. On yeah, Instagram. mostly memes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we have a link tree as well um, that has where you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, really anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, you'll find us there as well. Um, we're even on TikTok doing a bunch of shenanigans, so can't miss out on that. Yeah, I yeah. have something big planned for the TikTok. I just gotta, I just gotta get the costume together. But know that something big is coming. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's one of, uh, of the places where I see you the most often. You guys pop up on my feed quite a bit, but <laughs> <laughs> that's good to hear. <laughs> I mean, it's it's always cool watching your videos, by the way. So uh, the content on there is on point. I recommend anyone that is interested in podcasts dealing with either true crime or creepy stuff to check out your podcast for sure. I think they will find some very valuable and fun content. So definitely check them out. And well, that's going to be all for this segment of this podcast episode. And I want to thank you once again, Lexi and Kayla for joining us. Thanks for having well, thank us. Thank you for having us. Uh, sure. And like I said, hopefully we can do another episode together in the near future. Maybe I can feature in your episode and your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love this point. plan. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll, we'll keep in touch and get that going on behind the scenes. So we'll be right back with the segment in which Mariah will share her own story about her supernatural slash creepy topic. So stick around for that. And we'll be right back. Okay, and we are back with Mariah's segment. Uh, Mariah, you also have something spooky to tell us tonight, don't you? Yes, I do. So, what is it? Okay, so it's a bit of maybe three things, but they all have a connection into one. So, that's exciting. And of course, it has to do with the kind of like a folktale based on the movie The Ring. So, this is a true story that I'm going to dig deep into. <laughs> okay, let me stop you for a minute there. This is a true story based on the ring? 
Well, it's inspired. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's what inspired the ring. Oh, okay. Now, now I get it. I'm like, mm. yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I want to have a lady walking out on my TV screen anytime soon, but okay. I know it depends yeah. who it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess some of the story. Oh, yeah, is go ahead, surreal. please. Okay, yeah. So, okay. So, I definitely want to start off with the folktale because based on the dates, I want to start off with the earliest date first. So I want to talk about, I hope I'm saying her name right. I looked up on Google just to make sure and I was saying it right, which is Okaiku. But I do apologize if my words are funny. <laughs> so um, so this is, it's kind of our version of La Llorona almost in Texas, which is a weeping woman, but this is the Japanese version, and it dates back to 1313. No, oh, 1333. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. 1333 is when this castle apparently got built, and it was in an island in Japan, that area, and apparently it's a him. Himiji Castle, and it is still there. You can still visit this castle today. And so the story starts off there, and apparently this girl um, who was one of the workers who I guess would clean the castle and stuff, and it was owned by a samurai. Oh, cool. So I had never heard of such an amazing story of a samurai that's pretty cool actually just to hear about a samurai all together so it belonged to a samurai and apparently he wanted a relationship with this young girl who worked there and she rejected him so there are different versions of the story apparently he wanted to be with her and she didn't want him so then he took revenge on her and killed her so and threw her down a well oh, that, that's creepy that sounds familiar already <laughs> another <laughs> version is that when she rejected him he wanted to i guess have a plot against her and say oh you stole one of my valuable plates now you get out of my castle kind of thing. And then she drowned. She took her life because she didn't want to, I guess, get arrested for the wrong thing and be pointed at like, this is not what I did. And I guess she was scared. So that's another version of the story is that she ended up killing herself hmm. in the well. Oh, okay. So, and you can actually visit this place today. A lot of people online have, I've, research and a few people have said that they do hear a crying woman near this well and apparently it's also free admission to go to the castle so that's cool <laughs> if you're ever in japan go and check that one out so okay let me ask a couple of things here real quick um there so there's different versions right you said like in one of them the man murdered the woman be yes. Because 
she didn't want to be his wife or whatever, right? Yes. Huh. And in the other version, why would she take her own life if she didn't want to be with him? Maybe she felt dishonored or something like that? Dishonored and probably scared. Mm-hmm, okay. Didn't want to be locked up. Yeah. I guess. In prison for being innocent. And you can't even prove that you are innocent. So that's another version of the story. Hmm. Interesting. And so you say that people hear a crying, wailing woman in the area, no? Yes. But they hear it at the top of the castle. So it is free admission to go to the, this castle today. And some people have said online, talking about the story, that they've actually heard a wailing woman and it's at the top of the castle and then apparently when you're on top of the castle you can kind of see a well over a hilltop I think and that's apparently where she died and so they say that that's where that exact spot is where they hear her so of course it's a folk legend there's not that many history like I guess, newspaper articles about the actual crime. Because, again, this was in 1333 when apparently this happened. It's, it's a while back. I mean, they didn't have electricity or anything like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Well, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty interesting. And I wonder what she looks like. Have people described the way she looks? Yes. Some people have said over the years some people have said they've seen a a spirit and they've had they saw a bit of a glimpse of long black hair hmm. and they think that is her now the next story that is in connection well it seems very connected and it brings up a lot of questions i think to this. Okay, so that's so I wanted to start off where the earliest date of the story. So the second story that I am a true believer that this is connected in some weird way. It's really freaky. So apparently there is a haunted doll and her name is Okai Ku, the same name as the original folk tale legend. So this haunted doll story that I'm going to tell, it was in, it happened in 1918. So apparently there was this guy, he was going down a street somewhere and apparently he was working and providing for his family early in the day. And this was located in Hokkaido, Japan, Hokkaido. A 17-year-old guy is working and providing for his family, and he has a little sister who's two years old. And so at this time, apparently the story goes that he didn't have, or the family didn't have as much money, and so he really wanted to surprise his little sister with a doll that he saw 
at a down the, it was down the street that somebody was selling so he got the dog because he said that it looked very similar to his sister okay so then he presents this star to his sister and his sister fell in love with this beautiful doll and apparently she has bead black eyes she has a lifelike porcelain doll face and this is where it gets a little creepy is her hair is very beautiful and long and lifelike so the little girl fell in love and her name is Okaiku as well so she names the doll after her then the little girl about a year or two years later she dies from influenza and so the family is mourning her lost and everything and so they end up getting this doll her beloved doll and placed her at the family altar and they would have frequently family prayers and then they started noticing something with this doll is that the doll's hair would grow and when apparently the brother who bought this doll originally her hair was up to her shoulders the doll's hair and the family they have mentioned that the hair ended up near the legs the legs of the doll wow so they thought okay maybe it's her spirit it's it's our daughter that's inhabiting the doll so they respected that and they accepted that belief and apparently years later i think it was in 1938 they ended up moving to a different place but they were afraid to take the doll with them because <laughs> they didn't want to mess with her spirit because that's where her home base was and they didn't want to disturb the spirit that was in the doll and stuff so they apparently took it to a temple where there were monks and stuff and so they actually take care of the doll today <laughs> and you can visit this doll today and i have seen different stories from different people online somebody said they went to see this doll and they said that it looks like it has real life teeth and that's scary <laughs> okay so not only does this doll's hair grow apparently but it also is a uh, has rather teeth yes <laughs> and that's not even the craziest thing yet okay so okay so this family the little girl who died her name was okaiku now i know there we have our ancestors right so I looked and I didn't see that there was a connection, but it seems very, 
very similar is okay so i okaiku's last name is suzuki now the author who wrote the ring movie horror movie series the horror novel his name is koji suzuki coincidence I do not think so at <laughs> all. That is very creepy. The fact that there is that same last name and very similar similar inputs. Now he has mentioned when he was asked what inspired you to write this novel. The novel came out in 1991. He said his inspirations were the poltergeist US movie, the American movie, and the original Himeji Castle Okaiku ghost legend story from 1333. He never mentions the haunted doll from the 1900s. So that is a little weird i think there is a connection with him and maybe his family history that he doesn't know maybe (laughs) but (laughs) it's just very interesting how they have the same last name yeah wow this doll i mean where do you say this doll is found so i can make sure never to visit that place in my life (laughs) Yes. So it's actually located in a, it's called a Maninji temple. And so apparently it's in a town of Iwamizawa, which is in that Hokkaido, Japan? Mm -hmm. Hokkaido, Japan? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Wow. So if you know one thing about me, Mariah, it is that I am not a big fan of porcelain dolls. (laughs) <laughs> so just <laughs> I mean much less one that has hair that grows and teeth mind you um, nope <laughs> <laughs> nope <laughs> that is a big nope for me <laughs> to that ball um, I mean I'm sure that I could go see it but I don't think I would want to stay there very long if I ever did see it it's kind of creepy it, it is pretty creepy and then of course that connection to the ring I mean um, the author of the novel so, I mean, who knows? I mean, he may be part of that family through some long-distant branch of his family tree. Who knows? That's something that I, I will need to look into if, if I have the time to to make sure that if to make sure to find out if he is in fact part of that same family. And why he is so interested in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I mean. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so, have you ever heard of anything, like, I mean, in your own family, maybe a mystery like this, for example? Not, well, I did find a distant cousin once in <laughs> high school. <laughs> but no, I think I have. I don't think we have a mystery in our family. Oh, actually we do, but it's not a... a, 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 I mean, it's not a scary mystery. It's just that 
one branch of her family tree on my mom's side is completely unknown to us. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's people out there that might be related to me that I have no idea are my family. Uh, it's kind of a long story, wow. but basically, yeah, like that family got lost along the way somewhere. <laughs> for some reason oh. I mean I know why but I don't want to share that here because it's kind of personal I mean not for me but for my my grandma especially she's the one that knows the truth and she doesn't really like to talk about it too much but yeah I mean that's, that's about the only thing that I can think of I mean I, I, unless unless these people are like witches <laughs> <laughs> then, oh no uh, I mean hopefully not but I mean I couldn't say that I have a connection to something like that from the past and I mean and I ask you that question because it's interesting how sometimes stuff like that goes on through generations and there's a repetitive pattern sometimes mm -hmm. in a lot of families yeah yeah that too like history always gets replayed somehow somewhere <laughs> somewhere down the line I mean like the you, you mentioned the original story from the well is from the 1300s right Yes. And then this one with the dolls from the 1900s, and you said you had another one, no? Oh, yeah. The, well, the, well, those three oh, okay. kind of all go to get well with what inspired the movie, The Ring. Oh, I see. Okay. Is based on the first story, and then the first story kind of follows up with the haunted doll, and then right after the doll happened is when the Ring movie yeah. hmm. happened and the novel so it was just interesting to me to find all of this out and just fall in love <laughs> <laughs> i mean the ring is your favorite movie yes and of course <laughs> with a doll involved that makes it so cool and then with a ghost behind it mm -hmm. with the original story and you can actually visit this stall today as well. So you can visit both places. I mean, I, I think I would rather see a ghost than a haunted doll, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> if... Somebody did say that they went to go see this stall at the temple and they said they had a really great experience there from America and they went all the way to Japan to go see this doll and apparently they said they were fine after returning home they did mention some similarities to other haunted dolls that they've seen in person and something bad happens when they got home but they said that did not happen when they did go see this specific doll hmm. in japan so that may be good news <laughs> to <laughs> I mean, good some who may be interested <laughs> <laughs> good for them that they didn't bring something back with them <laughs> I mean that would be that'd be kind of weird <laughs> yeah but I mean that's very interesting Maria thank you for sharing that information with us it's food for thought definitely um, <laughs> I hope <laughs> um, you enjoy listening to the stories that our guests told us uh, Kayla and Lexi I want to thank them once again for joining us in the last segment they are awesome they have their own show um, which is called a little wicked podcast and I encourage everyone to go go and check that out for sure. And do we have anything on the calendar, Mariah, for the next episode? Not as of yet, right? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we do this to ourselves? I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, uh, but it's okay. I mean, we'll choose a movie sometime during the week, and, and we'll get together and plot that out for the next episode. But um, in the meantime, though, I wanted to remind our listeners to go and check out our social media. We have a Linktree page, linktree.com slash mythsbehindlgds, in which you can find all of our social media links, and you can also find our online store so you can score some sweet EMBL swag for yourself. And also, if you're listening to us on a platform that allows you to score the podcast, by all means, give us the top rating because that's what we are about. <laughs> Just the, the top score, please. Um, so, Maria, anything else you might want to share with us before we sign off? Nope, that's all. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for sharing that. It's very interesting information, and I will make sure to never visit either location. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least the doll that's uh, like low, low on my bucket list. As in, <laughs> as in, it, it, it actually went through the bucket and it's nowhere in the bucket anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you once again, Maria. And, well, uh, like, <laughs> we normally warn people to stay away from stuff, so definitely stay away from this doll for sure. Sounds like bad news, at least to me. And <laughs> until we see you on the next one, have a good one.